0: You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, as Andrew Kim said, my name is Betty Dickinson. I am so excited to be with you here today. And if you've met me before, you've probably heard me tell you that I actually grew up here in Troy. My parents lived just a mile that way. I came to faith through Kensington when I was 12 through Troy Campus. So you all, when I come here, it's like coming home. So thank you for welcoming me back. It's such an honor to be with you all. And I cannot wait to get into the service today and into the message to talk about in our final message on making room. And But before I do that, I want to just take a moment to take up our offering. So if I could just have the ushers come forward at this time. And if you are new or visiting with us, this moment is not for you. You can just let this moment pass. But if you've been around Kensington for a while, you call Kensington home. We just want to say thank you for your incredible generosity already and what a gift and an honor it is, right? To partner together, to do together more than what we could ever do on our own and to see these incredible stories of what God is doing through these global partners and in so many different ways here locally at Kensington. So there's multiple different ways you can give um, online or you could also go ahead and give as the pouches as they pass. Uh, But before we get into the message, I just wanna pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much. For today, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time that we have together. And I just, pray, um, I just pray that you move through this service today, that you help us to encounter you afresh, that you help us to hear from you, and to, uh, to receive your story in a way that perhaps we never have before. Thank you for the ways that you modeled to us a surrendered life of descent in your birth. And help us to see that in a new way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was about three years old, I went to a museum with my parents, and I don't even remember what the museum was or what the exhibit was. All I remember was that there was this one beautiful, ornate velvet chair in the exhibit, and it was on this platform. And I remember as a three-year-old just setting my eyes on this chair, and it looks a little bit like this if we have the image. We'll pull it up now. It looks a little bit like this. It's just plush, beautiful, red velvet with the kind of gold, ornate fixings. And you could imagine that maybe a king or a queen or a celebrity would have sat in that chair. But as a three-year-old, that didn't make any difference to me, right? And I, I just had my eyes on this chair, and I thought, I want to sit in that chair, And of course, this chair was surrounded by these velvet ropes protecting anyone from sitting in the chair. But that didn't make a difference to me because I thought chairs are meant to be sat in, right? So why would there be these ropes protecting this chair? Well, I climbed under one of those velvet ropes and took a nice seat in this velvet chair, and immediately, rah, 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 the alarm bells start going off, and the security guards are coming after me, and my parents are flipping out, like, what the heck are you doing? And immediately it became very clear. I was not welcome in that red velvet chair. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our world today, we have moments like this, right? where I think our world is set up this way, that we have certain people, kings and queens and celebrities, those who tell the story. The story is centered on those that sit in this red velvet chair, right? But we can encounter these ropes that protect us, that keep the people who are in the velvet chair protected from those of us peons who have to stay on the outside looking in, right? And While there may not be physical alarm bells that go off when we cross that barrier, I think we all know and experience what that feels like, right? It's the side eye that you get from someone when you show up to a party and you're not properly dressed for the occasion. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have that experience? Or maybe it's in a meeting when you feel like You can feel your alarm bells and your heart rate going off when you feel like, I'm not supposed to be here, or I'm not welcome here, or maybe my voice isn't welcome at the table. Or maybe it's the alarm bells in your nervous system when you get treated like you don't belong. Maybe you were not in the popular crowd, and you tried to be, but you kept getting pushed out. Or maybe I'm just rehashing my own middle school experiences. I don't know. But we know this experience, right? We, we know what it feels like to feel like we don't belong and that we're not welcome and that we're not a part of the story that's being told. And if you've ever had this feeling, I think you're going to relate to this, the characters and the story that we're going to look at today. And I'm going to pull up a painting I did of this moment as I read the text for you today. This is a painting from the book Making Room in Advent. We've heard this story hundreds of times this is a classic christmas text that we've probably heard linus read on the charlie brown christmas special but my hope and prayer for you is that as you hear this story and as you encounter god through the painting that you will hear it afresh because this story would have been radical to the people who have, would have heard it for the first time and i'll tell you why in a moment so this is right after jesus is born and the text says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. If you can kind of vaguely see on the right side of the painting, they're sort of over the hill and in the dark, sort of on the outside of the story, right? Looking in. And the glory, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. What's happening here in this story? is that God has removed the ropes. And he is giving these shepherds over the hill and in the dark access to the center of the story. We wouldn't know much about the shepherds if God didn't make this move. And what I love, especially about Luke's telling of this gospel message in the birth narrative, is that he shows us that the way God comes into the story reveals a lot about what God is like and how God's kingdom comes. That it is, flips the script on those who are in the center of the story and tells a story of those who are on the outside looking in. And what's fascinating to me, if you look at, at the very beginning of Luke 1, it starts off with King Herod, who is in the center of political power at the time. Right, he, The center of the story in, in that time was on Herod. He was the king. He was calling the shots. But then very quickly, the story moves on to Zechariah, who is less powerful because he's a Jewish man, and he is in the center, though, of religious power as a priest in the temple. But then this man, Zechariah, is silenced, and the story then shifts to Elizabeth, his wife, who has less power. Andrew talked about last week how women at that time had no influence, no status in society, and especially for Elizabeth as a barren woman, she had even less power. But she was still relatively wealthy, and yet then the story shifts down even further to her son, a baby, John the Baptist. And what it says about John the Baptist is that he's not going to be in the center of religious power like his father, Zechariah, right? He's going to be a prophet in the wilderness, calling forth, prepare the way for a new kind of king and a new kind of kingdom. And so then the story moves from John the Baptist to Mary, who has even less power out in the margins as a poor, marginalized woman and a virgin who had no rights as an unmarried woman at that time and comes from a back rose Rose town of Nazareth. And then the story descends even further to Jesus, God choosing to become flesh in the family of a marginalized community that is poor and being born among cow dung. And then the announcement is made to the shepherds who at that time were on the lowest level of the ladder of influence in society. In fact, I looked it up and it said that shepherds were considered on the same level as tax collectors and dung sweepers. Okay, the people who... Sweep the crap out of the streets, like that's how low they would have been considered. They were considered marginalized. Now, I use this term marginalized, and maybe you're not familiar with this term, but my friend Danielle Strickland, who, by the way, a lot of this message today is inspired by her work and what she's taught me about this passage, but one of the things she talks about is that when you're thinking about the margins or marginalized, if you think about the center of the story in a book that you're reading, the text is in the center. That's where the story happens but the margins are the white space of what's left out of the story. And this is how the shepherds would have been treated. Nobody would have thought two cents about the shepherds having any kind of importance. And yet here God brings them into the center of the story. And what God does is he goes out of his way to chase these shepherds down. And I love what this biblical scholar, Craig Keener, says about this passage. He says that this narrative would have challenged the values of many religious people who despised shepherds because their work kept them from participation in the religious activities of their communities. The shepherds were not able to worship God in the temple because of this, their, the nature of their work. They were considered unclean. So any time they would have tried to even attempt to get to the temple, to worship God, if they were to try to step foot in the temple, they'd be crossing over those ropes and alarm bells surely would have gone off and they would have quickly been ushered out. That you don't belong here, you can't have access to God. Now, if God was always in the temple, which is what the Jewish people, that's how God dwelled at that time before Jesus. If God was always in the temple and the shepherds were always out in the field, then how would they ever encounter God? Can you imagine those of you sitting in this room not being able to come into this space because of your work or what you look like or the choices that you made and needing the closest you could get was on the outside of these walls in the rain just listening for the music and listening to hear one whisper from the sermon? Can you imagine what that must have felt like Here here in the story God chases them down over the hill and in the dark and pursues them in the very place where they were excluded. And he shines the glory of heaven. Not just sending one angel, Mary and Zechariah got one angel, but he sends the generous host of all of these angels singing and praising of who God was. And what's fascinating about this is that royal birth announcements at that time were regularly heralded by a real choir, but they were regularly heralded to the wealthy and the powerful and the privileged sitting on those red velvet chairs. And yet the God of heaven pursues and brings this choir in this over the hill and in the dark, kind of out of nowhere, just to a few shepherds. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? How you must have been felt seen by god in that place this is just astonishing okay i love what danielle strickland says about this she says god goes out of the way to get in the way of those who are most excluded this is just who god is and this is just what he does and do you know who i think has a a pretty beautiful example of this in one of the most classic christmas films of all time the grinch How many of you have seen the 2018 version of The Grinch? It's the Pixar one. My kids have watched that probably five times at least this season. And I'm pretty familiar with the story by now. But one of the moments in the story that's my favorite is it's at the end of the story, The Grinch, you know, it's after he has stolen all the presents and then he gave them back and his heart grows three sizes, you know, too big or back to what it should be. And he goes back home and he's on the top of Mount Crumpet. And all of a sudden, he hears the doorbell ring, and here is little Cindy Lou who, showing up at his house. Now, just think about this: What it might have been like for this little girl to trek to the top of Mount Crumpet, on the like other side of her community, out of the way, for what? To invite him to dinner. And the Grinch is flabbergasted by. It. He's like, "Well, you know, I stole all the presents, right? Like, why would you invite me to dinner?" And why I love what she says, she says, because you've been alone long enough. And so at the end of the story, we see the Grinch in front of, in the center of the story, surrounded by community at this beautiful feast, and giving the toast and saying, it wasn't really Christmas that I hated. It was being alone. And this is such a beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. It says in the Psalms that he sets the lonely in families. He brings those who are on the outside looking in into the story in a place of overflowing love and belonging. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God does. That's what his kingdom is about. And I love how the shepherds respond to this. So I'm going to pull up another painting of the next scene that happens as I read the next passage. So it says when the angel had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger and when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I love this story. Can you just picture the wonder and the awe of this moment? How many of you have ever gotten kind of a backstage pass to something important? Maybe it was a musician that you loved or a celebrity, and you got to go behind the scenes and actually get to meet this person or see them face-to-face. Well, I didn't get to, I haven't gotten to meet a whole bunch of celebrities in my life, but my uncle is an opera singer. And when he uh, performed at the Chicago Opera House, when I was 12 years old, I got to go backstage and to actually see him and meet some of the cast. and I remember beholding his face. Now, if you've ever seen kind of people who are in plays or performances on stage and you meet them in, in real life, There's like so many lines on their faces and just accentuating their features. And it was this profound moment that I'll never forget of just beholding his face and the awe and the honor and the privilege to be able to actually see and get to see him in the flesh and to see him that close. What's happening here in the story of the shepherds is they get a backstage pass to see something incredibly, incredibly beautiful and profound and holy. And the shepherds, what they say to them, or the angels, what they say to the shepherds is like code. It's they say something like, The sign is that you're gonna find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Wink. Because that would have been saying, You're gonna be welcome. You don't need to clean yourself up and journey to the temple to find this God. He's coming to you, and he's coming low. And he's born among animals. So you can even bring your sheep with you. And you don't have to even climb to a mountain. You don't have to even get into a home. He's going to be just right there in a cave. And you can see him and behold him yourself. And can you imagine what it must have been like, their excitement and joy? Where I don't know how many different barns or caves they went and looked for Jesus, but they're on this treasure hunt trying to find him. And I can imagine if you have ever held an infant right after they have been born, it is a holy moment, isn't it? Can you imagine holding infant God in your hands and beholding him? And I'll just tell you, as someone who's had two children, there's very few people that I'm okay welcoming in right after I have given birth, okay? Because I'm exhausted and it's vulnerable and it's a very intimate moment. And there's just, you know, a few fam- friends or family that I'd say like, okay, you can come in. And yet the shepherds are given this invitation to this incredibly intimate and beautiful holy moment. And they behold Jesus. And they don't just behold this child. But what, they show, what it shows us in this moment, what God shows us that he is like, is that he descends to make himself accessible. He descends. God removes the ropes and gives these shepherds direct access to him, to behold him. He welcomes them into family. When the angels say a savior is born to you, It's not just some platitude. It's not just some nice thing to say. They behold Jesus in a very embodied physical reality that this Jesus, this God, this Savior was born to me, the one who always felt excluded and rejected and alone. And he didn't appear in royal robes sitting on that velvet chair. He didn't appear in power and glory. He appeared in vulnerability and weakness. He descended. He got low. He got close. And he descended not just into the child of a baby form, but he descended into a poor family. And it was as though the shepherds were saying, "I am, Jesus is saying to them, I am one of you. I came down this low into a poor family into weakness and vulnerability as a child just so you would know that you are loved and that you are welcomed into the family this is the god that we serve this is the kingdom of god and this is how god chooses to come into the story and into our lives today And when you encounter that kind of welcome, if you've ever had someone that you thought was super important and they welcomed you into a meeting or they welcomed you over for dinner or you had the experience, you know what this feels like, right? To be seen, that someone saw you, or maybe they asked you your story when you never thought anybody cared. And when you have that kind of encounter, you feel like you belong, you want to share the story. You want to share the news, and that's exactly what the shepherds do. They are astonished, and they can't keep it to themselves. This kind of God who would go this low. And it says that everyone who heard this message was astonished. They were astonished by a God who would go this low, who would go this low to be born as a baby among cow dung, but also that they would equip, that God would send these shepherds on the outside looking in, that they would be the ones that would be centered in the story to share the news with everyone else. That's what filled them with astonishment because there is no other kind of king or kingdom that does that. So what does the shepherd's story reveal about who God is? God pursues the excluded and brings them into the center of the story. This is just who God is. God goes out of his way to get in the way of those who are most excluded and bring them into the center of the story. And you know what? As Jesus grew, he would continue to do this. He would continue to show us that this is what God is like. He goes out of his way to get in the way of blue-collar fishermen who felt like they were nobodies, who didn't qualify to be scholars in biblical terms. And Jesus said, I see you, and I want you. I want you to be in the center of this message and to share the good news he goes out of his way to get in the way of an ostracized Samaritan woman finding her at a well and transforming her story. And she who was on the outskirts of her community, just like the shepherds, are sent back to her community to share this good news about this kind of God. At the time, broil banquets that were often held at that time when Jesus was invited to a banquet, what would happen is the wealthy would throw the banquet and all of the wealthy and powerful would eat at this meal. And they would still invite poor people to the meal, but the poor and the women would have to stand on the outside with their backs against the wall, looking at what was transpiring in the center of the room. And after the meal was over, then they could come to the table and eat the scraps. But what Jesus does is he welcomes those who have their backs against the wall and says, Come on in. Eat. You belong here and elevates them, elevates their story, and empowers them. This is the kingdom of God. This is what our God is like. Why is this good news for us? Why is this story such good news for us? It's because even when we feel like maybe we don't have any power or influence or that we're invisible or that we don't matter, even when we feel like we're not good enough or religious enough or smart enough, God says, I choose you. And he brings us into a loving center of family and belonging. And that you're the exact kind of person that God wants to welcome into the story and use for his purposes. So who do the shepherds become at the end of this story? I love watching the character transformation at the end of this, As at the other end of this encounter with this radically inclusive, loving, and welcoming God. The shepherds go from being marginalized to at the center of the story. Again, we wouldn't know the Christmas story without the shepherds, right? It's just, that's the shepherds. They're a part of the Christmas story. But that's not how it was, but now they are. They go from being excluded to worshiping God to worshiping God in the streets and fields, running around, wherever they are, praising God. They go from being despised by the people to belonging in the kingdom of God. And they go from the outskirts of their community to the middle of their community telling them about Jesus. This is so beautiful, and this is so profound. And so for maybe for you today, I don't know if you feel like you are one of those shepherds today. Maybe you have felt pushed to the margins or excluded or have been rejected, or you felt like you didn't matter or that you're invisible. God says, this message is for you come to the center, come and encounter my love, come on in, you are welcome, you are welcome here. He beholds you as you can behold him in loving union. On the flip side, maybe this story is for those of us who are not in the room. Maybe this story is for the ones, I think a lot of times when we read the scripture, we want to put ourselves in the story, right? That's just Naturally, what you do when you read a story is you see, who am I in the story? Am I the shepherds? Or, you know, am I Mary or Joseph? But in reading this text, what if we actually saw that we're, we're not the ones in the center, we're actually the ones in the community, and the shepherds are the ones on the outside? Who are those that if they stepped foot in our church lobby would not feel welcome because of what they look like or what they smell like or their career, or their life choices. I think about the LGBTQ community and how they don't feel like they belong in most churches. I think about people, certain people of color who feel like, I, I just don't feel like my voice is heard. Or, or women, or name it. Like, Who are the people who are excluded? And how might God be going out of his way and inviting us to go out of our way, to get in the way, of those who are most excluded, bringing them into the story with loving welcome. And doing it not in a way that says, I've got the good news that I'm going to share with you, but it's actually saying, no, I believe that you have something to offer me, that I have to learn from you, that I want to sit at your feet and understand the gospel message from your perspective. Tell me about this Jesus, because you as a marginalized person maybe know him better than I do. And one of the examples that I'm so excited from today is this new global partner with the House of Joy that I think just models this so well. Talk about a marginalized community. The indigenous community have been pushed to the margins on this reservation. And if you know much about our history, this, as I was talking to, uh, I I met with Heather Sellerin. I think I I keep messing up her name. Dang it, sorry, Heather. (laughs) Uh, I met with Heather to ask her about House of Joy and kind of the ministry that she does there, and ministry of House of Joy, and, and Pastor JR and Alan, and wanted to know more about their story because what she told me is that they are Dene people themselves, and so they're from the native community there, and so they are from their own community being sent to their own community to share the good news. And she said, when we went there and we visited, we heard their stories, and we heard Kind of the history of the Trail of Tears, if you're familiar with that, in the 1830s, I believe it was, that, that the native people were kind of pushed west to make room for European settlers, and they're pushed west of the Mississippi River. So this community, the House of Joy, is living in the wake of that, living in poverty, feeling like I don't matter, that I, I'm not valuable, that I'm not enough. In fact, She told me that a lot of businesses, they refuse to set up a business for even a grocery store because there's no profit to be had. So she said there's only a few grocery stores within 80 to 100 miles of one another. And yet, Pastor J.R. and Al have been sent to this community like the shepherds sharing this good news, and not just the good news, creating access in these relationships through food and through clothing and building relationships of trust, and that they model so much the way of Jesus and the way that they humble themselves and they descend and they choose a posture of a servant, not forcing themselves on them, not saying, you know, we've got a message that you need, but seeing and beholding each of these people in this community as beloved and reminding them that they matter saying you've been excluded, you've been alone for too long it's time to come into the center of the story where you can be held by God and where we can celebrate you, where you can be empowered where you can be sent and he said, a lot, she said a lot of these people who they'll reach they're the first ones to want to dive in to help serve, to help build this building or to help serve food and they're living out the way of Jesus whether they know it or not And I just love that this is who God is. And so as we leave here today, my my challenge for all of us is maybe we need to think about who are those that are most excluded in our communities. That's one of the things I love the most about our move out groups and our move out network is that's the work that they do is to pursue and to go after, talk about the one, marginalized people groups who need to be held and to need to be loved and welcomed into the center of the story as Jesus does. So what, it might, what, what might it look like? Is there a people group? Is there a person on your heart that you know wouldn't feel welcome? And maybe it's inviting them to a Christmas service next week. But maybe it's also just inviting them into your life and to model humility and to ask them their story and to be looking for where is Jesus showing me who he is through their eyes? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that this is your way, that you came, Jesus, not on a throne with velvet and gold, but you removed all of the barriers that keep us from access to you, and that you go out of your way to pursue those who are most excluded, that you chase them down to show them your love and your extravagant generosity that you welcome them to the table and to the center of the story and that you empower them to be sent with your words of hope. And so, Lord, would you just move in us today? Would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see those that are excluded and that you would send us in a way of humility and dissent to welcome them into the story. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.